Hello, and welcome to the Movies Past and Present Podcast. It's March 17th, 2023, and this is episode 100. I'm your host, Stanford Clark, and I'm podcasting from the crossroads of the West in beautiful Salt Lake City, Utah. Just like my blog, moviespastandpresent.com, I'll be providing recommendations, commentary, and reviews about current and classic cinema. Thanks for tuning in, and let's do this thing. Well, it's my 100th episode, if you can believe it. So many thanks to my wonderful listeners who have hung in there with me. And I hope we've got a lot of great content ahead of us in the future. The uh, new in theaters section this week uh, highlights two films. Uh, Last week, the movie Scream 6 opened. This is a horror film from Paramount Pictures. It's directed by Matt Bettinelli-Ulpin and Tyler Gillette. Um, you know, I'm not much into these horror movies, so although I'm very aware that the screen, you know, about these scream movies, and I can't believe this is only the sixth one. <laughs> it seems like there's been so many more. Um, following the latest Ghostface killings, uh, the four survivors lead excuse me, leave Woodsboro behind and start a fresh chapter. And you can imagine who follows them. Um, the press materials say this is unlike any other ghost face. And again, I'm coming from a place of ignorance, but I would I would tend to disagree. It seems like it's very much like <laughs> all the other ghost faces. <laughs> anyway, uh, Scream 6 is now in theaters. It is rated R by the Motion Picture Association for strong, bloody violence and language throughout and brief drug use. Opening up today in theaters is Shazam! Fury of the Gods. This is from DC Comics and Warner Brothers. It's directed by David F. Sandberg, who also directed the first Shazam! film that we had uh, a couple years ago, two or three years ago. Uh, it continues the story of teenager Billy Batson, who, upon reciting the magic word Shazam, is transformed into his adult superhero alter ego, who in the film is played again by Zachary Levi. This film's got, I think, much of the uh, cast that was in that previous, that first film. Uh, It also has got Helen Mirren in it, Lucy Liu, and uh, Rachel Zegler, who played uh, Maria in Steven Spielberg's uh, retake of West Side Story. You know, uh, I didn't just love the first Shazam. I thought, not a huge fan of of, of the way DC has been doing their comic book movies. And this one, I just thought, I, I I thought that first one was really uneven in that it was uh, somewhat c- comedic, and then uh, it would go to really, you know, vi- very violent or or kind of scary. Just for me, it just felt very uneven. And and uh, again, probably not the one to ask, but. Uh, this looks like the same creative team is in place. And so maybe, maybe more of the same, maybe not. Zachary Levi is, is uh, very appealing in the role of, of Shazam. Um, but anyway, this is also one of those movies that the, the, the trailer has been playing. They've, they've, they've kept moving the re- the release date. So the trailer has been playing, it seems like for over a year. I'm just sick to death of seeing, of seeing it, but glad it's finally open. And again, maybe this is one of those things, not unlike uh, Top Gun Maverick. You know, I was so sick of that trailer, but then when that movie opened up, it was so good. Although I don't think this is going to be nearly as good as Top Gun, but still, just trying to give it the benefit of the doubt. Uh, Shazam: The Fear of the Gods is rated PG-13 by the Motion Picture Association for sequences of action and violence and language. Now, also coming to the big screen, and this is just more of a save-the-date thing, but it's um, My Neighbor Totoro, playing in theaters March 25th through 29th. This is the first film in this year's Studio Ghibli Fest, which is uh, put together by G-Kids and by Fathom Events. G-Kids has the North American distribution rights of these Studio Ghibli films. And and they always put together, I think, a really nice uh, 
uh, collection or or selection of films from the Studio Ghibli catalog. Uh, this year, this year is no exception. What they're doing this year is uh, highlighting all ten of of the films that were directed by uh, Hayao Miyazaki, who is of course one of the most revered animation directors still working today. And uh, it's it's their first ever nationwide retrospective of his Studio Ghibli works, including several anniversary titles. Um, the, it's the 35th anniversary of My Neighbor Totoro, uh, as previously mentioned, the, the 15th anniversary screening of Ponyo, and the 10th anniversary screening of The Wind Rises. Uh, other films that are going to be shown are Kiki's Delivery Service, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, Castle in the Sky, which is one of my favorites, um, Princess Mononoke, which is also another one I love, Porco Rosso. I like that one too. I guess you say I really like I, I like these <laughs> Hey oh, Miyazaki films a lot. Um, Howl Movies, Howl's Moving Castle, and Spirited Away. Also, speaking of Spirited Away, they're going to be showing a cool, well, at least what looks to be cool, stage interpretation, you know, theatrical interpretation of Spirited Away that was that made the rounds in Japan. Uh, so it's Spirited Away live on stage. All performances are in Japanese with English subtitles. And this is going to be playing April 23rd and April 27th. And that just sounds very interesting. Uh, and, and I'm very curious curious about it. Uh, speaking of, of, of the language, uh, all of these screenings are either in Japanese with English subtitles or have an English dub soundtrack. And uh, it's listed on on the on the website i will put a, a link to to uh the fathom events website in the podcast notes on my blog but basically it's just fathomevents.com and you can choose to see which uh which screening might work for you and also if you want again if you want it in um japanese with english subtitles or have an english dub uh I'm really excited about Studio Ghibli Fest. I will have a list in the full calendar on the podcast notes on my blog, as well as links to to the Fathom Events website. Well, I'm I'm excited this week to share a conversation I had with. Uh, animation director Steven Anderson. Uh, Steven worked many years for uh, Walt Disney Animation Studios. Uh, he was the director of the film Meet the Robinsons, and he co-directed with with uh, director Don Hall uh, the 2011 you know remake or just kind of reboot of Winnie the Pooh. And he uh, he began his career at Disney working on Tarzan and has just got, a, I think, a really interesting story. And he's also working on, right now, a really cool book that chronicles the two decades in between the death of Walt Disney in 1966 to when Michael Eisner, Frank Wells, and Jeffrey Katzenberg took over uh, – uh, management of the Walt Disney Company in 1986. So uh, really wonderful to talk to Stephen, and and uh, I hope you'll enjoy this uh, discussion. Well, I've got the honor and privilege of having Stephen Anderson on the podcast. Welcome, Stephen. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you, Stanford. It's great to meet you as well. Thanks for uh, having me. Well, it's just so great to get the, the opportunity to talk with you, Stephen. I'm, I'm a big fan of your work. Stephen has been uh, a story artist and director, and I think a voice artist too, haven't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> at, yeah. at, a, at Walt Disney Animation Studios. Uh, Stephen is the director of the film Meet the Robinsons, uh, as well as, as a co-director of, of uh, the 2011 film Winnie the Pooh. And am I missing anything else on the director front, Stephen? 
Uh, I did uh, the first season of Monsters at Work for Disney. Oh yes, Plus. that's right uh, for Disney Plus. Also in twenty when that air twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one, I think. Does that sound right? Yeah. Uh, well, excellent. And uh, I am uh, again just so happy to get to talk to you. We, we thank you. Uh, you had mentioned to me that in addition to to your film work, you are working on a very cool book project that I think will be of, of great interest to fans of Disney animation and I think just fans of film itself. Could you tell us a little bit about it, Steve? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, uh, the book is called Disney In Between, um, and it is about the studio from 1966 through 1986. So that it begins with Walt Disney's death uh, at the end of 66. And then kind of wraps up at the end of 86, once Eisner and Katzenberg and Frank Wells are, are in and settled and, and starting to really see the, the, the changes happening in the, in the films um, due to their efforts there in those first couple of years. Um, so, yeah, you know, a lot of people refer to that era. So, so we're talking about the set, basically the tail end of the 60s, 70s, and then the early 80s. Um, oftentimes referred to as the dark ages, the dark ages, <laughs> yeah. right? Of the studio's right. History, um, which I find really fascinating. I mean, on the one hand, I have great nostalgia for that time period because that's the Disney I grew up with. So, yes, I yes. saw those movies in the theater, and I watched Wonderful World of Disney every Sunday, and I just ate it all up. Um, but then, on the other hand, it it is a time that's not um, discussed as much. Uh, because it, you know, it isn't, it isn't a very rosy time. There's not, they, the studio, to be honest, you know, stumbled a little bit and kind of uh, had to redefine what Disney was uh, without Walt. And also as Hollywood was changing in the seventies and then in the eighties, once Lucas and Spielberg kind of took hold of the, of the, of the business and the blockbuster became, um, you know, what everybody wanted, uh, Disney had to figure out, okay, how do we fit into that? Um, and so that, I just found that really fascinating, um, to explore kind of that, that in-between phase. Um, yes. so that's, that's what I'm, I'm doing. Well, again, I can't, I can't wait to read this. <laughs> I want to read it, you know, today. Uh, so, from an animated film perspective, this would go from Jungle Book to The Black Cauldron. Is it with that? Does that mm-hmm. right? Or are you? Uh, is, the, is the Great Mouse Detective? Great Mouse Detective, yeah. In there of, too. That's the kind of the okay because yep. that was well underway before the final Eisner takeover. Although they were they had yeah. input, right? Yeah, and and um, you know, really instrumental in saving Disney animation because. Eisner and Katzenberg were so underwhelmed with Black Cauldron that they were thinking yeah. about shutting, shutting down animation, but it was yeah. because, because of Ron Clements and John Musker and Bernie Mattinson and Dave Michener, their, their pitch of Great Mouse Detective impressed them enough to say, okay, let's keep it going, at least for this movie wow. and see how it goes. And and then the rest, and then that led to the the Renaissance, you know, right. the 80s and early 90s. Well, I, I'm with you. I I grew up with the films from the from the, from the dark era. In <laughs> fact, I just had a friend on uh, the podcast a few weeks ago. We were gushing about our uh, our love for uh, Robin Hood. Yeah, and uh, and there's so many of those films I like. You know, I uh, I love the Rescuers. It's yeah. one of my it's one of my favorites too. Do you have a a you know a film from that period that's a you know that you particularly love or do you feel that it's representative uh, of, of it? Yeah. There's actually, there's a kind of a handful, a uh, huge fan of bed knobs and broomsticks and Pete's dragon. Oh yes. Okay. See, I'm thinking I've just got my animation hat on, but you're right. Yeah. We've got these other films that have animation in them, but, yeah. but I, uh, I still films. Um, yes. I, I mean, I have a real, real soft spot for the black cauldron. Um, I admit that it's not, um, one of the better films of the studio's output. Uh, but I remember, uh, 
gosh, I must, I don't know when I first heard about it. I, you know, I, I feel like I read about it when I was a kid for years because it was in production for so long. And, and I read the books in preparation to see it. And I was just so excited to see it. And when it finally came out, I just loved it. So again, I have a real nostalgia for the Black Cauldron, uh, even though now I can see it, you know, a little more objectively and, and, you know, you can tell that there was some struggles going on behind the scenes there. Um, I, I remember as a kid too, seeing the apple dumpling gang and escape from which mountain yes. a, a million times and Same here. so much. <laughs> uh, uh, and of course those. early movies, um, love those films. Um, I, I also have a, a strange affinity for the black hole. Oh, um, Steven, so do I. Yeah, I absolutely love the black hole. Yeah, uh, and I and I I know seeing it through you know different eyes that maybe it isn't the greatest film. I just think the production design is yeah. so remarkable. Yeah, and it's gorgeous. Oh, I love it. And to 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 watch it and and realize that entire movie was shot on the Disney lot. There's no, yeah. there's like everything's a soundstage or a matte painting. <laughs> You know, right? Uh, and it, it, it really is like that old-fashioned craft of of making movies. You know, yes. D- did you? So, quick question about the Black Cauldron. Have you had? Are, are there still? I mean, I know. What, what was my friend calling it? The Katzenberg cut. You know, oh, I guess. Yeah. Or is it? Have you have you seen any of those uh, different or or like work in progress cuts of the Black Cauldron? Uh, given never, your access or, or, or do they even exist? I, you know, it's a really good question. Uh, I've never actually seen a cut. I've seen, you know, I, I'm sure you have as well. If you go online and kind of, you can find some breadcrumbs. Yes. To some of the different potential versions that were out there. Um, I, I, I'm wondering if there really was ever a alternate cut or if it was really just trims uh, in that Katzenberg made, uh, you know what I mean? Like I, if there, the pre Katzenberg cut may not have been wildly different from the, uh, finished movie. It may, you know, what okay. I got a sense of is it was more editorial trims and kind of like cutting out sections and things like that. Yes. Uh, sounds like the, the drastically different versions would be more in the script and storyboard phases early on. Like there were, there were some definite different um, iterations of some of the sequences that are in the final film that, you know, are kind of interesting to muse about if they had actually done that, how would that have made a different film? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I get a sense that Katzenberg didn't do too much huge editing. It was more little bits and pieces here and there. I, that's so, that's so uh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, what, what uh, or who have you been able to talk with, about, you know, or to interview for this book? Because you just seem to be so well suited and positioned to be able to talk to people who, you know, were working on things. And, and also, you know, respectfully, who's still alive yeah. uh, to yeah. talk to? Well, that was the tricky thing, certainly about the live action side of things, because, uh, I mean, for the most part, the majority of the 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 established Disney live action group that that came from Walt's time and and transitioned into the seventies and continued making movies without him, they're they're all gone. Um, yeah, so yeah. that you could only get anecdotally through talking with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, on the live action end, uh, I was really lucky to get to speak with Gary Nelson, who directed oh, wow. the Black directed Hole, the Black Hole. Black Hole and uh, Freaky Friday. Yes. Um, another great one that I saw a million times when I was a kid. Oh, that's such a great, <clears throat> um, such a delight. Yeah. I spoke with um, a man named Mark Sturdivant, who was the writer of Condor Man. Oh, wow. And was going to produce the, the first version of Roger Rabbit when um, Daryl Van Sitters was the animation supervisor. This was pre-Zemeckis and pre-Spielberg. Um, uh, it was Mark Sturdivant who actually brought the property to Disney. Um, 
so I got to speak with him. Um, spoke with the screen, one of the screenwriters of Black Hole. Uh, spoke with Charles Martin Smith, who's an actor who was in. Uh, he was the lead in Never Cry Wolf. And uh, oh yes, okay. And he did a couple earlier Disney comedies. He did some other Disney comedies, didn't he? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Herbie goes bananas. And uh, okay, yeah. Um, so those were some of those folks. Animation wise, uh, the first person I started talking with was Bernie Mattinson. Bernie, yeah. um, because we were in the middle of making Winnie the Pooh, or or kind of. I think we might have been almost done when I started talking with him, but I was like, Bernie is sitting right here. <laughs> and oh my goodness. he started in 1953. So he has seen it all. I mean, literally has seen almost the entire history of the, of the company, save for what, uh, maybe 20 or 30 years prior yeah. to starting. Um, so I started with Bernie. He had great, uh, insights. I talked with, uh, Ron and John, uh, Mike Gabriel, Chris Buck, Mike Giamo, uh, Jerry Reese. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Uh, so quite a, quite a few of those guys uh, that kind of came. I, I, I did get a chance, uh, very fortunate to get a chance to talk some with Don Bluth. Um, about oh, yeah. His, you know, his feelings about everything. Yes. <laughs> there, which was really wonderful. He was great. Um, so, yeah, I tried to, you know, it's, it's one of those you know, how, how, if you do anything creative, you're always like, oh, I wish I could have done more when, you know, when I wish I could have added this or I wish I could have. There's so many people I would have loved to have talked with and and fill out the story. Yeah. And, you know, I'm in that mode right now of like, could have, would have, should have. <laughs> <But>, um, <laughs> yes. No, I got as many folks as I could. And I, and I think I got a good sense of the of the overall arc of that time period. So, um I'm really, really fortunate to speak with those that I was able to speak with. Oh, Stephen, I, I honestly, I can't wait for this book to to, to get released. Thank you for giving us a really great preview into, into your, into your work with it. When do you anticipate it being published? Is that, is that still too far out there? I don't want to, I don't want to pry. Uh, uh, so the, the company that's publishing it is called old mill press. They do some really beautiful books. They just recently did a, a book on Claude Coates. The oh, yeah. Um, the, the Dave, uh, uh, Busser wrote, right. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so the hope is early next year at the latest. Okay. So that, uh, maybe we can leverage next, next summer's D 23. Uh, yes. You know, hopefully that timing would be right there. It'd be perfect. Yeah. Uh, well, excellent. Well, can't wait. And just wish you the best as you're, as you're uh, coming to the finish line on Thank this you. mammoth, wonderful project. Thanks. Well, posted. <laughs> please do. Yes, please do. Uh, and I will be following closely <laughs> to along, anxiously waiting. So Stephen, tell us about your path to, you know, animation. Uh, how, how, what was your process like and, and how did you end up arriving at Disney feature animation? Mm. Uh, well, I feel like the most core memory, like the, the earliest core memory for me is, is watching Disney movies in the movie theater or particularly in the drive-in movie theater mm-hmm. um, for a lot of them. Um, and there was something about Disney movies that made me want to go home and draw. Uh, to try to cap it, particularly the, the, the characters, the expressions on the characters, the eyes, the, the body language, the poses, I just, they were so appealing to me. And I really wanted to see if I could capture those on paper myself. Um, so that really led to a love of drawing led to a love of animation bigger than just than Disney, like really a love of the, just the craft of animation, which also then kind of blossomed into a real love of movies um, and, and learning more about screenwriting and about what a director does. And so, so my, my interest kind of grew to, um, to more of a, of a story slash directing kind of place. Uh, I started as an animator. Um, uh, that's what I wanted to do when I went to Cal arts, which is the, you know, the big yes. sponsored animation school out here in California. Um, and uh, so I was really focusing on animation, but when I got out in the industry, the first couple of years as an animator, I realized, you know, I think this is not, uh, 
not my strong point, not my strong suit. Um, I loved parts of being an animator, but there was a whole technical side of being an animator that was just like my brain was way too small to be able to handle all that stuff. But what I, what I found is that I really loved, um, storyboarding and story development. Um, so then I was, I was able to transition into that world. Um, uh, I had met, um, Kevin Lima, who ended up directing Tarzan and a goofy Tarzan. And yeah. Um, I was working at a studio and a, go- and a, and a goofy movie, right? Yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, I was working at a studio called Hyperion right out of CalArts. Okay. And uh, Kevin was there developing um, some projects that he was, you know, he was slated to direct if and when they came to fruition. And I struck up a friendship with him and I really, um, we got, we got close and I, I really enjoyed his company and he was very encouraging to me. Um, cause I said, I'd love to be do story someday. And he said, you know, he, he was, he wanted, he encouraged me and wanted to help me do that. Um, so he left Hyperion, went to direct a goofy movie, and then that transitioned to him going to direct Tarzan at Disney feature animation which led him to say, Hey, you want to come over and work on Tarzan as a story artist? And I was like, uh, you don't have to ask me twice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, I would love to do that. And then the other cool thing was that the other, the director he was, he was going to be working with his name is Chris Buck. Yes. Um, who went on to direct frozen frozen and, and uh, yeah, both the frozen <laughs> and then also, uh, surf's up, surf's right? Up, Didn't he yeah. Surf's up over at Sony. Yeah. He did, yeah. Um, he was my animation teacher at CalArts, so I knew oh, wow. Chris already. Okay. So I was like, well, this is perfect. These two guys, I really love Kevin and Chris. Um, I would love to work with them. And, of course, I would love to do Story at Disney. So I hopped over there in 1995, starting on Tarzan, and uh, and that was the beginning for me at, at Disney Features. Uh, that is fascinating and just just these series of relationships right yeah. and things that that uh move that move this forward so you worked on tarzan then clearly was that when it really started in you know development around 95 or had it been going on before um I, so so kevin had done a goofy movie at what was what sort of became Disney Toon Studio? Toon Studio. I don't know yes, if it was actually called that at the time. But at the time, I don't. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Yeah. I don't. I don't recall. So then, uh, and I don't remember who suggested Tarzan, but Kevin started developing Tarzan at this. Let's say it was Disney Toon Studios. At, oh, okay. And then they decided, you know what? This is much bigger. This is a much bigger story. It should probably move over to features and be told on a bigger scale. Um, so he was developing it. I don't know, maybe a year or so before 1995. I, I might have that slightly wrong, but in general, I believe that's true. Um, so I and so when I got on to Tarzan, Kevin and Kevin and Chris were still working out their deals with Disney. So I was literally like, I had nothing to do. I was one of the first few people to come on to Tarzan, um, and I actually sat around for a couple months uh, waiting for them to start. So it was really like ground floor on that yes <laughs> for sure well that i think is such a terrific film well yeah. what was it like working on the on that project it was super exciting because it's i it was so very different for disney i i, I don't know there was something about doing an adventure movie doing um kind of a pulp uh yes you know something that had that its roots in the pulp stories of of the old days um something i mean it it, it was very disney you know the the all the fundamentals of it were very disney and kevin and chris's sensibilities are very disney um but there's something really different about it and that was really exciting uh it did take a long time to crack the story i was on tarzan for about three years yeah uh, and that's kind of a longer than usual um Mm -hmm. for some of these movies or at least at the time um so it just, it took a while. There was quite a few iterations and, and, uh, you know, eventually got there, but, uh, yeah, I really, really proud to have that as my first movie at Disney. 
Oh, absolutely. Stephen, what was the work like, you know, as you're spending those three years working on and crafting, crafting the story? Are you just in meetings the whole time? Could you give us a sense about (laughs) what, you know, kind of just how, how does that work? Or you're just... Or do you come to a meeting and then you go back and, and you're drawing furiously? You know, how, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, there were, it was, it was kind of like the last scenario that you, that you mentioned there, like lots of meetings because mm-hmm. the story, story team was involved in brainstorming and, and script reads and meetings with the writers and, and all that kind of stuff. You also get together in the room when story artists are pitching their sequences. So you have those story meetings as well, where not so much story development, but like, you know, reacting to people's pitches and, and getting those ready to go down to editorial to be put on film. Um, and then, yeah, time spent at your desk, actually doing your work, doing your storyboards. Um, so yeah, a mix of those kind of things. Um, so yeah. Well, the final film is a knockout. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, now after that, it was it the Emperor's New Groove that was your yeah. next project. So, were you on that project throughout the, the entire Kingdom of the Sun, Kingdom in the Sun uh, um, stuff, or at what point did you join that project? Yeah. So it was funny because I let's see, uh, I got off of Tarzan in, I think like fallish of 98 or like late summer 98. Um, and I wanted to go work on this other movie that was in development at the time. Um, uh, but the studio said, we need you to go over and work on kingdom of the sun just to help out to get to this screening. So kingdom of the sun had been going for a couple of years simultaneously with Tarzan. Um, in fact, several of my friends that worked on Tarzan, uh, about halfway through Tarzan's story development process had um, rolled off of Tarzan and went on to Kingdom of the Sun. So I knew a lot of people working on it. Um, they, Kingdom had had a few screenings at that point um, and they were gearing up for another one, which is common to screen these movies multiple times in storyboard form. Yes. Um, so I was free and they needed some extra hands to help get to that screening. So I said, you sort of have to do that when they ask you to do that. So I went over for I don't know, maybe a week or so and did some boards. Um, and then was like, I- I'm going to go work on this other movie. Then I'd really like to go over there. So thank you very much. Happy to help. Goodbye. And they said, no, no, stay on kingdom for a little bit, at least till the screening. <laughs> and the screening turned out to be the screening. Oh, it was the <laughs> screening. Okay. And yeah, kind of the sun sort of went into a tailspin. Um, and, uh, and I kind of got caught in that tailspin and then, but ultimately the good news was once they decided to go into a, a totally different, um, direction and do, do the comedy version that Mark Dindle was pitching, um, Mark Dindle and the producer, Randy Fulmer offered to, offered to give me the head of story job on that film. Okay. Said, okay. I'll stay and do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> another movie, but but I'm glad that it worked out and I'm glad that I got to work on Groove instead. Well, that movie is just such a kick yeah. and, and so unique. Yeah. Like I still can't believe it got made mm. uh, you know, from, from my, uh, from this outsider's perspective. Oh, I'm with you. Whenever I see bits and pieces of it, like flipping channels or something, I'm like, I can't believe we got away with that. Is it so broad? I forgot how, I forget how cartoony it is Mm -hmm. sometimes. And then when I see it again, I'm like, man, how did we would, you'd never be able to do that today. You know, (laughs) never. I just think it's delightful. I recently watched that uh, documentary, the where the groove documentary too. And that was uh, so um, interesting, you know, to learn more about the history of that. And, 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 uh, and your contributions to that as well too. Um, so after, after the Emperor's new groove, then uh, at what, was there another film that you worked on or what point did you start working on meet the Robinson? You know, what would become meet the Robinsons? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I finished on uh, Emperor's new groove and I had, I had expressed interest to the studio that someday I would love to be considered as a director there and they said that sounds great um and you did a great job with on emperor's new groove as a you know in a leadership capacity mm-hmm. they said, we want you to do one more leadership role before we um 
before we feel like you're ready to transition into directing. So that was, that movie was brother bear. Oh, okay. Um, it was made out in the floor, mostly made out in the Florida. In Florida. Field. Did you uh, reclo- relocate to Florida? I did. To work yeah. on that? Okay. I started, uh, maybe like five or six months here. And then, uh, we relocated out there for about a year and a half for, uh, for brother bear. And then as that was wrapping up, um, the discussions about directing kind of came back. Um, and when I, uh, moved back to LA, the studio had this script that they developed and it was called a day with Wilbur Robinson based on yeah. the book by Bill Joyce, the Bill Joyce book. Yes. And they Which said, is so cute. I love that yeah, book. Yeah. You know? It's, it's super charming. Yes. And, uh, inventive as all of Bill's stuff is, um, but not a lot of plot. No. <laughs> no. And uh and that was, you know, that was what was interesting is that the studio had hired a writer and um the writer and a couple of the development executives developed a whole story and a whole thing um to uh, to flesh out that 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 book. And um so they so the head of development at the time said, "Why don't you read this and see if it's something you might want to potentially direct?" or at least help us develop for a while. And I read it and, and I, I came back and I said, yeah, you don't understand. I have to do this movie. And I explained to them that, um, I was adopted. Um, uh, and the story that was created by the development team was, had this boy named Lewis who was an orphan and he was trying yeah. to get adopted and also asking all these questions about where he came from and, and who was his birth mother and why did she give him up? Which were questions that I'd been asking ever since I can remember. Cause my parents told me very early that I was adopted. So mm-hmm. really, you know, all those questions came up in my head. I said, Such I really understand film. this kid. <laughs> I yeah. totally get this boy and what's going on in his head. And I said, I have to do this movie. Um, and the studio had no idea that that was that I had that connection to the material, but you know somehow it was just kind of meant to be. So, so that that began that journey. How uh, and how did that process evolve, or that you know, that 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 film evolved? Did it, did did it stick a lot to the that original script? Were there a lot of changes? And I do remember too, Stephen, that. Uh, John Laster and Ed Catmull came on board as as that as as Meet the Robinsons was coming to a, a completion, right? Well, could you tell us a little bit about uh, you know about that about the I guess the evolution of of, of, of the story and the process? Yeah, uh, yes, it's a very complex answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. a complex process, uh, but yeah, we 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 stuck pretty closely to the, to the basic idea of that first script. We did do some, some rewriting with the original writer and then we um, brought on another writer and, uh, and then ourselves as the story team, we, we, we wrote material as well and kind of Mm -hmm. just kept evolving it. But, but uh, the time travel aspect, uh, Lewis being an orphan, um, the memory scanner invention that he has, uh, and pretty much the m- most of the characters and the cast of the movie all came from that original script. So it, uh, we were pretty faithful to that. But then, you know, as you storyboard stuff and as you get in there, you start finding things you want to you want to tweak and you want to rearrange and you want to clarify. And um, so it uh, definitely evolved. Um, and then, yeah, we worked for about the whole movie for me was about four and a half years. Oh, wow. Okay. And John came in like the last year ish of that, uh, early 2006. Um, and we were, the funny thing is the first day. So the John's first day, no, sorry. The day it was announced that John was taking over, uh, Disney animation was the day of our first, recruited audience preview oh wow we were okay far along we had um i think at least 75 80 percent of the movie animated okay um and uh and then we with all the the pixar involvement we ended up probably reanimating like 60 percent of that 
Oh my um, goodness. Could do, and, and our release date wasn't changing either. So we, we had about six months to kind of refresh the movie. Holy smokes. Did anybody even get to go home at night? You know, you're just there working yeah. 24 yeah, seven. Oh my stars. But, uh, so it was tough actually. Cause even before John came on um, to be totally frank, the, the leadership at Disney animation at that time was pretty dysfunctional. And yeah. um, uh, we had been just, fighting battles nonstop with the, with the leadership Mm -hmm. uh, trying to protect the movie because there was a lot of feedback that was, that we felt was, was not in the movie's best interest. So we were trying to like, you know, shield the characters and the theme and the story we all wanted to tell. Yeah. Um, And then we were able to get new leadership, which was exciting, but then we got slammed with another, like another, a uh, big series of of pretty uh, pretty involved and impactful notes. Um, so it was a lot. <laughs> uh, yes, it was quite a ride. But but I am very proud to say, you know, when you if if you look at our our very first storyboard screening of the movie, and then you look at the the final movie, it's a lot different. But the characters are the same. The story is the same. The emotional core is the same. The theme is the same. Um, there are some sequences that are almost identical to the to the first version. So I do think we were able to hold on to the that core that we were all really passionate about, um, and the story that we wanted to tell. And we did get to tell that story. So um, I'm very proud of that. Well, kudos to you and the team. It's really it, it's such a meaningful, wonderful film. Uh, Thank you. You did such a, such a great job. Thank you. On it. Yeah, it's really it's really been a favorite. Um, uh, so after that, hopefully, did you get a break? <laughs> did you get some time off? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I did. Um, yeah. Went uh, went into development. Um, kind of worked on a few ideas, and then uh, John asked me if I'd be interested in um, or developing a Winnie the Pooh movie with my, with my good friend and colleague, Don Hall. Yes. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. And that uh, was the beginning of another really amazing project. Never in my life did I think I was going to be working on a Winnie the Pooh film, but, wow. uh, but here I was and, and it was a blast. And what was different about it for feature animation, you know, usually it features, the movies are, I mean, they might be based on on some existing material, but for the most part, you're starting with a blank page and you're building everything from, yes. from zero. Um, but what was neat about Winnie the Pooh is the world existed, the characters existed, yeah. we know how they spoke, we know what their personalities were, we knew how they interacted with each other. Like, we could just start working. We didn't have to spend that you know, those couple those first few months of like, okay, what is this going to be? And what is it? Yes. Be? Like the, you know, that blank page syndrome. Um, we could just start working and that was great because, because we really were able to, to build ahead of up ahead of steam really fast. And, uh, and it was fun because we did it kind of the old fashioned way. We just did it with drawings. Our, our story team, we all just sat in the room and we just scribbled out ideas and pinned them up and eventually built an outline and, and went from there. So it was really cool. Stephen, what was it like to after? Because I felt like the the uh, the CGI and or just the CG animation in Meet the Robinsons was really uh, stunning, and in a lot of ways, I felt it was groundbreaking. Again, just from this, you know, from an animation fan's oh, perspective. Uh, and then going back on a on a really cool hand drawn animation <laughs> project, what was that like? And was the I mean. What were some of the production challenges too, or how, how did that all work? Yeah, I I think uh, you know the weird thing, about, the weird and cool thing about Winnie the Pooh is, and I was just saying this to somebody else re- recently. Uh, we kept we kept waiting for somebody to throw a grenade into the process, or like the other shoe to drop. We were having so much fun, and we're like, so much fun. This isn't going to last. Something's going to happen. It's going to be yeah. a catastrophe, or um, and it never came. It was amazing how smooth it was. It was amazing how the team just like rallied around the movie and just made it happen. 
Um, so I would say like it was it was more artistic challenges than it was like production challenges. Okay. Like, like we wanted to, you know, how how are we going to um, get a sense of that? You know, the 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 Disney's um, original three Winnie the Pooh shorts were made during that time of the Xerox process where yes. the, the animators drawings were, you know, Xerox onto the cells. So you get that really cool kind of scratchy line. Uh, yes. Wiggly line sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as the backgrounds have that um, real heavy, bold outline um, on the, you know, on to, to sort of fill in the detail in the backgrounds. And we wanted to, to reproduce that. And, and uh, so it was like, how, how do we do that? And how do we use digital tools to still get a hand-drawn feel? Like, for example, the characters were all animated on paper, but the backgrounds were all, and the backgrounds were drawn on paper, but they were painted digitally to look like watercolor. Um, you know, so, so it was actually also kind of a neat challenge to how, how, do, we, how do we merge the best of the digital tools like 2D digital tools with the best of, of the hand-drawn animation look and feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was kind of fun. It was a really, it was a really neat challenge to do that. Um, oh, and I think that you succeeded because th- that film is just so light and breezy and fun. And it just, you know, I think that the, you know, as you described it, the fun that you were having making it, I think really shows. Oh, thanks. Yeah. On the big screen. It, it was like, it was really, um, yeah, it, it, it really was like that. We, we, we had more material than we needed. And the first couple screenings, we just sort of whittled it down to essentially what it is today. And then the rest of it was like clarifying, punching up jokes. Um, you know, I, I mean, one other challenge too was, was how, what, like, what's the rhythm of a Winnie the Pooh film for, you know, the two thousands, <laughs> uh, the the early seventies films are super charming, but are they a little too slow for today's audiences? Yeah. At the same time, we don't want to turn it into, you know, SpongeBob or, or (laughs) parents or something. Not that I, there's anything wrong with those shows, but no, but it's Winnie the Pooh (laughs) too, too much. You know, what's the right balance of, of, uh, of like pace and tone and, and where can we stretch the humor just a little bit more? But when it's too too far, um, so those were some of the challenges as well. But but like I said, it was all really creative challenges as opposed to technical challenges or politics, studio politics, getting yes. in the way of anything. Like none of that was there. It was all just okay. How do we make this movie the best it can be? Which is that's the environment you want. <laughs> oh my god! Right, like the perfect creative environment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You you know you mentioned earlier. And I had seen some of these, you know, things that you and others had posted on Twitter, um, talking about Bernie Manson mm-hmm. and and uh, what a loss, mm-hmm. right? To have to have to have Bernie to have Bernie uh, leave us. Yeah. What what was your experience? Did, did you get to work with Bernie a, a lot through the years, or was it more heavily with the Swinney the Who project? How did, what was your relationship like with him? And 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 anything else you want to say about? about Bernie. Yeah. Um, it was mainly, it began with Winnie the Pooh. Um, okay. Although, although I, you know, I passed Bernie in the halls all the time and I knew who Bernie was. Two of my favorite films are Mickey's Christmas Carol and Great Mouse Detective, two of my favorite Disney films. Yeah. And Bernie yeah. was director and producer. Bernie directed both of those, right? <clears throat> and um, so I knew who he was. I, the thing I kicked myself about in my early days at Disney is that I was so intimidated by those those older guys like at the time bernie was there joe grant was there and there's a story guy named vance gary i don't know if you're familiar with vance um vance vance dates back to i think he was a i think he did layout on on sleeping beauty and then became oh, wow. a story artist on jungle book i think was his first okay movie um and uh and those three guys i was so intimidated by them that i was afraid to talk to them um, I mean, I would say hello in the halls and, you know, casual conversations at the Xerox machine or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, it's not like I avoided them, but uh, I kicked myself in retrospect for not actually, you know, going into their offices and, and sitting down and saying, hello, I'm so-and-so. I love your work. 
can I learn? What can I learn from you? Yes. You tell me your stories. Um, so when we were beginning Winnie the Pooh, where my office was at the time was very close to Bernie's. And I saw, I was like, you know what? I'm going to just go in there and say hi to this guy. I, I don't, because by that point, I think Joe had passed away. Vance had passed away. And I was like, I'm just going to go talk to Bernie. This is going to, this is stupid. I'm just going to go do this. So I, I brought my great mouse detective poster in and I said, Hey, could I, <laughs> could you sign my poster? I, this is one of my favorite films. And he was like, Oh, you just made my day. And he was the nicest man in the world. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I so afraid of all these years. <laughs> um, but that led to me uh, going to, to Don Hall, my co-director and saying, Hey, Bernie worked on several of the original shorts he has such a Disney spirit and, you know, and feel to everything he does. What if we brought him on just to help us out? Um, or just to like be a kind of a guiding light for us on the project. And Don was like, yeah, that's a great idea. So we did. And, um, and it, it was the biggest joy to me to get to, to both call Bernie a friend, but also call Bernie a colleague. Like there were a few times on, during Winnie the Pooh, in our story room that um, I would be sitting at the table and we'd be brainstorming an idea and I would sort of go into my head and leave the meeting for a moment and say, Bernie Mattinson is sitting right next to me <laughs> on a, and, and I'm doing story work with him on a movie that I'm directing and he's right there. And it's not weird to anybody except me, <laughs> like, you know, but it's like, this is just our day right now. And I thought this, right. it's, it's amazing. So I, I just cherished every day with Bernie. Every time I got a chance to see him, he was such a light. He had such a wonderful smile, such a, a wonderful laugh, such a big, hearty, <laughs> hearty laugh mm -hmm. that just made you happy. Uh, so I'm so glad that I, I had the chance to, you know, for them, for my life to connect with his. Oh, absolutely. What a, what a treasure. And, and, uh, that as, as you describe him, I, you know, I, of course I, I never got to meet him in person, mm -hmm. but you just see interviews and things with him. He just radiates it. Doesn't yeah. he? Just this, 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 uh, goodness and kindness and yeah. talent and optimism. And, uh, yeah, just a pure, like a pure person. There's a, I don't, I rarely ever heard a negative word come out of his mouth. Um, you know, nothing duplicitous or, or I, he just, he was who he was and who he was, was this light, like you're saying. Yes. Just this, just like you said, radiating this kind of joy and positive energy. So he's a really great guy. Well, I love that story. And I just, and good on you for taking advantage of those. <laughs> hey, you did it. Yeah. Which, is, yeah. which is wonderful. Well, any other stories then to take us between, you know, the creation of Winnie the Pooh and and now that you that you'd like to share? Were there some other films that you worked on that were particularly memorable? Well, also one other thing I wanted to mention, if I'm not mistaken, Stephen, weren't you the voice of the bowler hat guy in Meet the Robinsons? <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> so, and 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 have you done some additional voice work? I think I saw that in your, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, I mean, you know, this happens a lot with animation. Uh, yes. Where, the scratch track, or is exactly. that what it is? Okay. And the and then the scratch track. You know, we we screen these movies so so many times, and the scratch sometimes gets. Uh, married to the character and it's really hard to get to, for everybody's brains to kind of readjust to a different voice. So then, you know, like the case of, <clears throat> pardon me, Brad Bird with Edna Mode or Chris yes. with Pitch, you know, there's yeah. precedent for that kind of thing. So that's kind of how it happened with me and, and subsequently after, um, Meet the Robinsons, um, similar kind of things would happen where you do scratch and then they, they keep your voice in there. Um, so yeah, it's fun. It's fun to do. I like doing it. Well, you're good at it too. So. <laughs> I'll oh, add anyway. one, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, please. After you. I was going to say, I'll add one, um, one more Bernie Winnie the Pooh story. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Um, so early on when we, when we started talking with Bernie about the project, 
uh, one day he came in with this, with this stuffed Winnie the Pooh and he showed it to us and he said, I'll tell you the story about this, this stuffed Winnie the Pooh. So he said back in, uh, uh, you know, the, the mid sixties or whenever they were in production of Winnie the Pooh and the honey tree, the first short. Yes. Uh, he said, Wooly Reitherman, who was directing it went around and said, Hey, we're going to do this live action opening. And we'd like to have a stuffed Winnie the Pooh. Is there anybody here in the building that makes dolls or stuffed toys that you could make a poo for us? And uh, and Bernie said, oh, my wife, my wife makes them. And his wife's name is Sylvia. And she also worked at the studio. She was a um, she was a cleanup uh, in between her. OK. And so he told her about it. And so she made this a stuffed Winnie the Pooh. And Bernie brought it in and went to Wooly and said, hey, how about this? My wife made this. And, and Wooly said, oh, I wish I'd have known earlier. He said, we already got one. Uh, somebody already made one and we're going to use it in the live action opening. I'm so sorry we can't use it. And so Bernie said, oh, that's okay. And so he took it home and he said his kids played with it. And it just has been in a box in his attic or something. And so he said, let's bring it in. And he wanted to bring it in and show it to us. And Don and I were both like, okay that's the Winnie the Pooh that's going to be in our live action opening and we need a Winnie the Pooh and here's one right here. So the Pooh that you see in the live action opening of the movie is, was made by Bernie's, Bernie's wife. wife. Yeah. And was that, oh, I love that to being in the original uh, live action opening. So thanks. Do you think the yeah. studio is going to do any other, you know, kind of Winnie the Pooh? I don't know. I Thanks. I hope so. Uh, yeah, we were we were trying to kind of keep it going. We started developing a a holiday special, like a oh, okay. holiday special, and, and yeah. So the talk after the movie was done was let's keep let's keep making material, e- even though the studio wasn't moving forward with any of it. But it was like let's just start building a library of stuff that we could we can eventually make once the studio decides to keep going with it and they never decided to keep going with it. So, um, I don't know. Uh, now that he's public domain, uh, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, obviously the Disney version is not public domain, but right. So now that anybody can make anything Winnie the Pooh. So I don't know if that means the company is going to want to either assert their poo in a stronger way or if that yeah. mean they're just going to want to kind of keep it quiet i don't know no, right good question any other uh stories you'd like to share about you know story development or think projects that you worked on after mm. uh after winnie the pooh um uh yeah i mean uh i i went back into development after winnie the pooh i was in development for a really long time and uh, I had a project that that had been going for quite a few years, but it stalled out and uh, I got really discouraged and I decided to step away from it because um, I just kind of, I lost my compass, I kept saying. Um, but then this great opportunity came um, in the form of an invitation to go over to TV animation at Disney and work on Monsters at Work, the series for Disney Plus that was being executive produced by two friends of mine that I knew from Disney Toon Studios, um, Bob's Ganaway and Farrell Barron. Yes. And uh, and so I went over there and had a, an in, a, a, just a blast making Monsters at Work. I mean, the crew was so great. Uh, it was such a, it's such a fun world to play in. The characters are yes. great. It's like, fun show I mean, it's sort of like it was a bit like winnie the pooh where it's like there's this i mean yeah there's work to it because you know and everything takes work to make a to make a movie or a tv show but but it's like the world is so fun the characters are so fun it's it's so much like just playing with the best toys <laughs> you can imagine <laughs> yes uh, so that was really great and for me what was great is i'd been sitting in development for so long that and it had been so long since I was in production that with on monsters, my first day was like hit the ground running. We're making stuff right now. And so the pace of TV um, was exactly what I needed to kind of get me out of my, out of my funk that I'd been in for a few years. Cause I'd been sort of feeling like I was atrophying 
um, you know, not get just develop putting research boards together upon research board, upon research board, upon research. Yeah. Board. Yeah. Like this is great and all, but I really want to make something. So monsters came along at, at the perfect time. Um, and, uh, and then I left the studio, I left Disney in 2021, uh, decided to strike out on my own. So been working on a few things that, uh, that, um, I think are announced, but are not quite fully baked yet. So okay. my, my role is done, but they're, they've yet to, to come out. So, um, but some cool things on the horizon. I'll, I'll, oh, good. I'll, I'll leave it. So we'll, we'll stay tuned yeah. and just to, uh, to exciting things. Uh, will you be working in both features and in TV again, Stephen? I mean, at least, at least somebody I can ask you that. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I hope so. I love both. Um, okay. Uh, the one, actually one of the projects I, I worked on since leaving was a feature and one was a series. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Well, and, and one is CG and one is, is uh 2d. So, oh, wow. Um, okay. Love to, I mean, it's all great and it all just depends on the people you're working with and, and, uh, the material that you're, that you're dealing with. Um, so I'm, whether it's a feature, a series, a uh, uh, short, uh, 2D, CG, live action, whatever, I'm, I'm all for it. Oh, I'm going to be excited to see uh, these new, uh, or learn more about these new projects. So kudos uh, to you. I'm glad that that's uh, continuing on. Okay, last couple of things, Stephen. This, uh, I'm very curious to know if you've got a favorite Disney movie, and I think initially, I mean, I'm wondering too. It could be animation or live action, or or you know, eat one of each, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. What what are your favorites? I mean, every time I'm asked that question, my brain always goes to Pinocchio. Um, yeah. There's a. It just feels to me like it is quintessential classic Disney. Um, such a beautiful film. Um, so much charm, so much heart, so much, just so much beauty in it. Just, and, yeah. and, and, you know, the, the, the more we get into, uh, computer assisted, uh, techniques, which are all great. Uh, the more, when I look back on the classic stuff, my jaw drops just to see what they were able to accomplish with paper and pencil and paint and cells and, you know, cranks on a cranking uh peg bars on a camera and going click click <laughs> like yeah. yeah the what they were able to achieve back then with with it essentially all by hand is just stunning um so uh pinocchio definitely uh is a restores my my love for uh disney and for animation mm-hmm. you know I'm Pinocchio is such a marvel to me. I recently rewatched it. I just can't even fathom how they did those underwater. I mean, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Every, every frame is is gorgeous. Yeah, uh, but those underwater scenes. Yeah, like, how do they do them, Stephen? <laughs> it's, <like, laughs> yeah. it's just remarkable to me. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's and again, it's like it's all it's all. Uh, old school techniques yeah it's 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 the most analog (laughs) way you could make uh a movie and they did it and they did it and yeah and it still holds up nothing's you know finer right than the work it does that they did okay and since this is a movie podcast steven just one final question do you do you have a favorite movie you know, from any from any studio, you know, from any time period, just yeah. any, any favorite movie that's kind of your go to. Uh, I'll I'll say, can I say three? Absolutely. Uh, I, I have hard. I can't. I have to like say ten. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can't a hard pick question. just one. It's hard question. A hard question. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, definitely. Oh, yeah. Um, and then uh, Brazil, the Terry Gilliam film. Yes, the Terry Gilliam film. Yes. Uh, and then maybe what I would say is. I guess I might say this is my 
all time favorite movie, uh, Amadeus. Oh yeah. Um, which, uh, is a movie that, uh, was a, is a really made a huge impression on me when I first saw it. I guess I was 15 when it came out. Um, and every time I go back to it, I see it from a totally different standpoint and relate to it so well. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Cause it's, a, you know, about the creative process and True creative yes. art versus commerce and, and artists versus artists. And it's uh, your life. Yeah. <laughs> right? it's just, it's it's everything. A... Uh, yeah. So I'll go with those. Well, three. Those are, those are great. Those are great choices. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Sharing. And, and I just thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk with me. I, yeah. I learned so much and just appreciate all of your your great work and all that you've done and all that you're that that's that is ahead of you it's very exciting thank you so, so much it's a real pleasure thanks great talking to you great talking with you thank you now one final thing too Stephen. where can uh people find you on, on on social media yes uh i'm uh on instagram and twitter both as steve hat guy all one word steve hat guy like bowler hat guy but instead of bowler it's steve, <laughs> steve. Uh, so uh both uh, instagram and twitter well that does it for this episode of the movies past and present podcast many thanks again to steven anderson for a great conversation and again just what great work he's done and 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 that he's got yet to do Links and more information about the movies discussed in today's podcast can be found in the podcast notes on my blog at moviespastandpresent.com. Subscribe to the podcast. Links are on the blog. And follow me on Instagram. My handle is at moviespap, as in past and present. As always, I hope you will enjoy some good movies this week, whether they be from the past or the present. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, be safe out there and dedicate yourself to the truth. <laughs>